Hello and welcome to Two Hearts, a new Who podcast. I'm James. And I'm Callum. And this is the only podcast where I'm not blinking. Here on Two Hearts, we take a look at another episode from the Doctor Who revival. But right now, we are in the midst of our flux reaction, uh, flux reaction specials. And this week, it's Chapter Four: Village of the Angels. As always, just a quick reminder that you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at Two Hearts Pod, the number two, and you can email us at Two Hearts Podcast at gmail.com. That's to the word two. To have your thoughts and feelings shared on the show, James. Mm. Village. 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 Village of the Angels. I would like to. Um, basically, at the top of the show here, I'm just going to offer our regular listeners um, if you enjoyed this episode, awesome. Uh, we're happy for you. This is your off-ramp. If uh, if you don't particularly want to hear us be quite critical about something that you're enjoying at the moment, I don't blame you. Um, but I know I speak for both of us when I say that we thoroughly did not enjoy Village of the Angels. Um, and so uh, it's, it's a bit of a bummer for us to have to come off the last couple of weeks where even, you know, War of the Sun Tyrants, I didn't particularly care for, but at least there was enough flux stuff that I was still excited about. Um, this week, it's... Um, well, I mean, it's, it's a Village of Angels. That it is. And so, yes, if you, if you're, <clears throat> if you liked the episode, you know, I'm, I'm actually really happy for you. I wish we were in that, um, in that camp, but, um, we, we have been having a long conversation about these episode, this episode in particular, about how to approach it for our podcast. And, um, we are going to be taking quite a critical look at this episode's flaws for lack of a better word um so if you do feel like you don't want to sit in on that one be that's absolutely fine (laughs) we won't hold it against you (laughs) exactly right um so village of the angels is chapter four of flux it is written by showrunner chris chibnall and maxine alderton returning after her stint in series 12's episode the haunting of villa diadadi or whatever it was called uh this is directed by jamie magnus stone um and it is you know as we've kind of seen now where it seems like even though this is quite a short series, we've entered into a pattern of it where one wild bonkers episode that deals with the flux stuff, one classic who villain down episode where it, it sort of gets shoved to the back of it. Um, War of the Sontarans, I would say it was at least the B plot of War of the Sontarans was what was going on with um, uh, Swarm and Azure. In Village of the Angels, the the flux, the, the title, the premise of this entire experiment is relegated to like C or D tier. Um, it, it is so far removed from what actually goes on in this episode, which in and of itself um, isn't necessarily a problem if what was left over wasn't so staggeringly average. Yeah, look, <clears throat> I think that's probably like the kindest thing we could say about this episode is that it's um pretty bloody like C tier, C 
um, on like an average day, but then look, we're going to get into it. We're going to get into it. And I really, I really don't know where to start with this episode, James. We've been talking around it and <laughs> I, I need... It's- it's odd, yeah, because yeah. like you know, you and I often talk about, um, like you know, before we record, we're like, oh, maybe we'll start with the performances this week, or like the themes this week, or, or whatever. Um, Village of the Angels is, um, it's incredibly surface level. Uh, there, there is so little else going on with this episode beyond um, sort of the the mood piece that it is, and so I, I don't entirely begrudge people being taken by that mood because I get it. it. It's fun to see the angels, it's fun to see a spooky village at night, and it's fun to see weird time shenanigans, right? Um, I think where Callum and I are running into a major problem here is that. There's just nothing else going on. Um, you do get some revelations around uh, Division, which we will get to. Um, but just even if you remove the overarching revelations, which it really feels like, uh, and obviously full spoilers, but like at the end of the episode, the Doctor gets turned into an angel. And it feels like they had that one image in mind and then wrote backwards from that. Um, and that that's the vibe I get from the writing of this episode because everything is geared towards shifting the plot and the characters along to that predetermined uh, destination. And so because of that, I don't think anybody acts like a real person in this episode. Um, there's no characterization to speak of at all. Um, if it is there, it's just, it's, it's dot point versions of it. Mm. Um, and plot, like there's just no, no, exactly. There's no story here. here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, worse than that. Uh, and, and this is like the, the real sort of kernel that's stuck in my shoe or (laughs) however people talk about these things, (laughs) um, is that, even if you, even if I was unhappy that this didn't do much to progress the flux stuff, which I am very unhappy about, even if I removed that, it's still just a quite a, a boring episode. Um, I don't think we, it's particularly scary or interesting. We should clarify though that when we say flux stuff, we are talking because there is there are revelations in this episode about <clears throat> about division and this organization the Doctor worked for. Revelation is actually the wrong word because we don't learn anything about the organization. It's <laughs> a part of the plot, for lack of a better word, because uh, I don't like using the word plot to describe this episode. Um, it's in there and obviously informs the uh, the biggest part of the uh, cliffhanger to this episode that you pointed out, James, is pretty much the only reason why you would watch this episode, um, I think. Um, when we say flux, I think we mean like, the Bell and the Vinda stuff that we've been seeing, the temple subplots, Swarm and Azure, the threads that have, that truly make this a connected series. This mm. episode, I think more than any of the other ones we've seen, more than War of the Sontarans, is literally just like, take generic Doctor Who episode, stick it into a really cool and I think exciting experiment for Doctor Who, and retro engineer it to make some of the things fit into it so then you get shit like weeping angels suddenly being operatives for this shady organization and (laughs) it's gonna be really hard for me not to (laughs) unleash hell on this episode james (laughs) um yes yes exactly uh so i guess um this is gonna be difficult okay let's let's start with um let's start with what the doctor goes through in this episode let's let's say sure well, we find the Doctor in the TARDIS uh, because the angel has it. Um, 
And I'm I'm sorry, just a small side note. I saw a review that was like, oh, it's so exciting to see that line finally get paid off all these years later. I was like, that's that's just not why things are written though. Like like paid off. don't write things. Yeah, ex- like what is what does paid off mean? It's an iconic line in its own right because of the mystery behind it, because of the intrigue, because of that kind of like exciting sense of the unknown that it instilled in viewers. And so when you know 13 or however many years later we are now from that, when people can be like, "Oh, well it finally has the box." It's like it is this what we want mm. from media? Like, do you just want this consistent echoing of things? I'm sorry, I just... No, I think... I, you brought it up, and so it, it killed me. Yeah. I think I think that's a, a valid point, James, and it definitely informs our feelings and about this episode, but also, like, about discourse around this episode. I, I, I just don't... I don't know when fondly remembering something was not enough anymore for people like the 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 beauty of a lot of these stories that we used to enjoy is and and this is obviously quite philosophical i know we are careening off course already but like i find when i think back on you know the old star wars movies or or anything of that kind of caliber i think to myself yeah that was a beautiful moment in time which i felt so nicely about and is nicely contained and it's like yes i am nostalgic for it i remember it fondly it instills that warm feeling in me but there's no part of me that's like okay let's reanimate that corpse and try to instill that feeling again it's like no i i want to now be making new emotional connections with stories so that in 10 years time i can look back at joe Whitaker's time on the show and be like, man, remember when they did that really cool thing with the flocks, you know? And then you, then you, you, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm I'm in a cuckoo clock sometimes because (laughs) I I just don't know what people want out of stories anymore. No, I think this is definitely the episode that broke the camel's back on that front. Um, Because we've never talked about, apart from the Christmas New Year's Day special, we've never talked about Doctor Who in the current form. We've never, we have never as commentators on this show talked about Doctor Who as it's currently being aired Mm. and it's so frustrating because the current climate and era of um critical analysis and discussion um but just the ways in which we discourse about media is so like childish and and childish Mm. in the sense that like it's down to like well i liked this because it triggered something in my brain i liked X because that's supposed to be cool. Not, I thought this was cool because of the, like the relevance that it has to the story or because of the, um, the way in which the character changes. Like there's none of that. I, I'm explaining this terribly, but I, I think you understand what I'm saying, James, like mm. help me out. <laughs> no, no, I, I do. I, I think you and I both just sort of t- took a, a long way around of saying, um, we just want, new stories um and i think that the reason you you know you said before like village of the angels is the one that broke the camel's back for us like i said to you immediately after we watched this episode like this is the last of my good faith burning out for flux um because we like you like it was literally like three weeks ago you can go back and listen to us when we started this whole experiment right like we specifically were like open hearts, open minds. Let's see if we can just enjoy what Chibnall is trying to do here. Mm. And when he is trying to do those things, I think those are the parts of the past couple of weeks where you and I have been the most elevated, the most excited, the most like, you know what? Yeah, this isn't entirely working objectively, but subjectively we are entertained and we're, we're kind of thrilled a little bit by it. Um, And then you get to village of the angels where it's, it's so 
disconnected from everything that we were enjoying about this and like this is just a series 12 episode with a tiny bit of, of flux in, inserted into it and so that desire to see something new and something exciting and to, to feel that way um, has been effectively sort of zapped from us for this one um, and I think that's why like we, we took an extra night to record this because it's just I don't know like we, we don't want to sit here and just complain for like an hour but at the same time I don't think either of us want to pretend as if like we could easily sit here and be, for 20 minutes and be like, Oh yeah, it was, it was shot pretty well. And some of the music was okay. Um, or a bit of a wild cliffhanger, but still pretty shoddy character work. I don't know. I guess we'll see how it turns out. Have a good night, everyone. But that's not really how we feel. Like we, we actively don't like this episode and I think we have very valid reasons to not like it. Um, and so it just puts us now into this position where we're, just, we're kind of going to end up talking in circles about the uh, overarching philosophical elements of this. So I guess we should probably get back to the plot. Uh, yes, definitely. We should get back to the plot of this episode so that we can talk. We can tell you what we're talking about. Um, so at the end of the last episode, obviously the angel had the TARDIS. The uh, doctor does something with the inside of the ship and shorts it. So the angel flies away or whatever. Um, and then they're forced to go out to wherever the angel was taking them to because it has to power down or some shit. There's going to be a lot of swearing through this, just FYI. Um, <laughs> uh, so they go out and they meet a couple who are looking for their missing niece, I think, um, Peggy. Um, they learn that the village they're in is called Mediton. It's 1967 and uh, everyone apparently at this time in history goes missing. Um the Yaz and Dan go split off. Uh, they get zapped by an angel back into the 1901, which is when everyone was missing, missing the first time. And they meet Peggy, the missing girl. They also find out that the village has been quantum extracted so that um, the angels can isolate the village for some nefarious reason. Um, the doctor Nefarious and unexplained reason. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, <laughs> as yet... Uh, the doctor goes to the... Uh, she, oh, her sonic screwdriver was like, I'm hot. And she was like, okay, I'll take go where you want me to go. And uh, she found the basement of uh, Professor Jericho, who was doing experiments on Claire, who you will remember. Oh, shit. Sorry, that was a big burp. <laughs> <laughs> who you will wow. remember um, was in the very first episode, Halloween Apocalypse, and um, went up to the doctor and was like, oh, it's you. And she was like, I don't know who the hell you are. And she was like, oh, well, we'll meet again soon. Um, and then she got zapped back in time. This is her having been zapped back in time. She's now in 1967, um, having experiments done on her by Professor Jericho, who, who's convinced that she... Uh, I actually don't know why they're doing experiments on her, other than she must have gone to him and been like, experiment on me. Anyway. I think it's because they both think that she's clairvoyant. Claire. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> clairvoyant. Claire. Claire, what's your last name? Voyant. <laughs> Voyant. <laughs> Shit, sorry. Continue. Anyway, back to the plot. Um, angels start storming the house. Uh, apparently they want Claire because there's an angel inside Claire's mind. The doctor goes into Claire's mind, talks to the angel who reveals that the angels who are trying to capture it are division agents. Um, division apparently is everywhere. This angel needs the doctor's help to get away and in return offers the doctor memories of their past as a division agent. The doctor does her best to get 
Claire and Jericho to safety. They exit uh, the basement through a tunnel, secret tunnel that comes out on the site of um, like a burial site, I guess, of stone, um, which I guess is how the angels got to the there in the first place because like the stone is all made of angels. It's kind of, it's really badly shot and you do not know what's happening anyway. Um, meanwhile, Yaz and Dan, um, oh, the old couple, by the way, get zapped back in time, uh, and eaten as turned to stone by the angels and the girl's like, I don't care. And they move on. Um, they come up to like a division in time. So like 1901 and 1967 are meeting, um, where Mrs. Hayward, one of the characters from the start that I never mentioned until right now, um, she approaches the little girl and she's like, Hey, you're never going to leave this town. Also, you're me and deal with that. Um, that's fun. And then, um, the, my God, this is so hard. And then <laughs> the doctor comes out and like all the angels surround her and Yaz and Dan are watching and the rogue angels like, oh, um, you know, um, I've made a deal and they're not going to take me in now. They're going to take you and they're going to recall you to division. And the doctor's like, oh no. And then she starts getting turned into an angel and she was like, oh no. And that's pretty much the amount of energy she gives to that scene. And then uh, she's turned into an angel and Yaz and Dan are stuck in 1901. And that's the end of the episode. Sidebar to all of that, um, Belle uh, goes to a planet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Belle goes to a planet and meets a refugee of the Flux uh, disaster who introduces her to this so-called savior on the mount who turns out to be Azure trapping people inside Passenger. Um, she saves the guy, but he's like really ungrateful about it. And then later in a mid credit scene, Vinda goes to the planet looking for Belle, finds this guy and he's like, oh, she did me a favor. Oh, she really saved me. Uh, here's a message from her. And in the message, she's like, hi, how are you? This is really important. Um, I'm here. Oh no, coordinates. And then she times out. So she can't actually tell him. And, um, yeah, then it ends on a really somber version of the Doctor Who thing for no reason. So that's Village of the Angels. What do we think? The thing is, it, like we said at the top of the episode, that this is an episode where there isn't really a story going on, but there is definitely a plot. Uh, there is a lot of stuff, um, but <laughs> and none things. of it. Yeah. <laughs> Things, things certainly happen. Um, okay, so let's. Uh, Why don't we let's start with everyone's favorite part of this episode? Yeah, exactly. The angels. Um, that was the big draw card, and I think it was you who mentioned that. Like this episode probably was a pre-COVID series thirteen episode before COVID put paid to yeah, whatever plans I, they had. I, I, I'd heard um, whispers that there was essentially a very traditional plan for season 13 originally, uh, which included an episode with the angels, an episode with the Santarans. Um, and so what we're seeing here in these like flux light episodes is holdovers from, from what that was originally meant to be. Um, and you can very much see it here because the, the idea, okay, here's the thing. The idea of turning the angels, which, uh, you know, every time we've seen them, are this like, uh, very, you know, malevolent, uh, kind of horrific time force creature, right? Uh, turning them into space cops <laughs> is, um, wrongheaded. I, 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 I remember. No, you go on. 
No, I, just, I remember when I was sitting there watching this episode, when the angel was like, I am division uh, inside Claire's mind. It was the moment where like, I, I just kind of broke a little bit. Um, we'll get to the division stuff uh, in a little bit because we do want to talk about that as mm. well. But specifically as it relates to the angels, uh, I just find that it is a, um, a really fumbled strip mining of their mystery and their intrigue and their scariness to tie them into an overarching plot that I think as we've sort of now seen, I'm I'm not sure Chibnall has the chops for. I agree. And, you know, the most intriguing part of that whole scene I felt like was when the rogue angel said, you know, division is everything and everyone. And it's or something to that effect. Like it, it, like, broadening the scope of division to be this like all encompassing, but completely secret police organization. Mm. I don't necessarily have a problem with. I think the thing is, once you start taking creatures as unknowable and crucially as uncommunicable as the angels Mm. and make them operatives of this secret organization, you are suddenly saying you are planing. That's not the right word. Like you're, you're, to borrow a term from, or an adjacent term to this episode, you are quantifying them. Quantifying them, you're, like, mundaning them. These are not, like, that's not a word, but, like, bringing them down to the level of, like, like, of, like support characters, you know? <laughs> and, like, yeah. the threat of them has always been in their complete, like... You know, there's a great image in this episode of, like, the Doctor being surrounded by lots of angels, and that would have been cool on and it is i suppose cool on its own if you just unfocus your eyes and don't look at anything or wrapping around it um but like in the the sense that the whipping angels are like their powers are limitless and you don't know when they're going to strike and you also don't know like like how long you can hold out against them because like every single defense you have against them they have a way of defeating it um and to then say that they are like police (laughs) I can't even say it. Like, they're police. What the fuck? Yeah, it's just very wobbly in terms of the characterization that had already sort of been established for this this enemy. And that isn't to say, you know, like, I know we just got, like, we went through a whole thing at the top of this episode about, like, give us new stories, tell us new things. Um, and so I get the impulse to develop on a uh, previously established villain and sort of give them a new dimension. Um, you know, I... Uh, you know, broad speaking, uh, Revolution of the Daleks has some very, uh, you know, evident issues. Um, but what I did like about that episode was that we got a new kind of Dalek. You know, they were more conversational. They were a bit more, um, mm. they, they thought a little bit, you know, and, and I really vibed with a lot of that stuff. And so I'm not inherently opposed to the, uh, like a remix of, of a previous villain. Um, but I think that because the angels here have to so neatly tie into the division stuff, um, it's not, it's not a remix of a villain driven by creativity it, it's driven by necessity it's that mechanical mm. writing that we always talk about with Chibnall and so the end result when you've got the the one that talks through Claire and then even worse is this uh, this utterly bizarre sequence which is you know very well acted there is I have no gripes with the guy who plays the professor um, but he has a moment where the angels that are in his TV start using his voice to talk back to him and try to essentially neg him basically <laughs> and it's like I 
I just don't feel like the angels should be talking like this. Like it, it's like not, you said, making them communicable. It just it's it's too much of an extra element. It's too much of an extra element, and it also runs in the face of like, and we'll see this in another example in this episode. It runs in the face of what we've you know had established about them in the past. Now I'm not saying. Because, you know, like, there was Blink, and then there was Time of the Angels, which, like, added a whole bunch of new shit into them that mm. kind of contradicted stuff in the last episode. So I'm not saying, like, adding new elements to the Angels' repertoire of, of things is is bad. Of course I'm not saying mm. that. Um, but, <laughs> you know, you will see, you, you'll notice in, like, Time of the Angels, the only reason it they spoke in that episode was because they literally pulled the fucking voice cord of a supporting character out and used it like a puppet, you know, to be able to Mm. communicate. So in this episode, they talk through possession. They talk like not even through possession, but just like, I don't know, like how do like, it's magic. It's magic, you know? (laughs) And I don't want to be here being like, how did that happen? Therefore I don't like it. I, (laughs) because I think obviously mystery uh, is a part of this, but this isn't mysterious. This is just confusing. Well, exactly right. Like, Chibnall doesn't write in such a way where you chalk up the unexplained to the mysterious. You chalk it up to the incompetence. Um, And, like, this happens across almost all of his stories. There's always somewhere, like, this little element, this little nugget where you're like, wait, like, you needed something to happen, and so you just bent the rules of the universe to make it happen. And, you know... I, I I don't inherently dislike that as a as a concept, um, but I think you need to be a really good writer to make it a smooth transition for the audience. Um, and he, I just, he's not, and so um, I don't get a smooth experience from this episode. I get a very like sort of janky one um, where the angels are just they're just kind of overused. Um, like this is if if you go you know yeah. blink is alien. Uh, Forest of the Dead or whatever it was called is um, uh, uh, Aliens. Flesh and Stone. And, yeah, Flesh and Stone is Aliens. Uh, then Alien 3, you know, you, let's say that you get a, a widely misunderstood director's cut with what Moffat did uh, with them, <laughs> with the, the Statue of Liberty and all that, all that dumb shit that went on. And now it's like we're up to Alien 4 where it's just like, what the fuck is even happening anymore? Um, they've yeah. just lost so much of their initial kind of like appeal. And look, as- aesthetically speaking, vibe-wise, I do enjoy watching them. I like looking at them just mm. kind of like be angels you know but it was like last week when we had a good laugh about that one angel that was piloting the TARDIS where it's like it'd be like if you watched a Dalek at the TARDIS controls be like beep boop beep boop it's like yeah no no I I like this villain I think they're scary but they're scary within the parameters that they're allowed to exist in because if you start stretching that too far you stretch the believability and you stretch my investment in the story and for this one making them division making them communicate as much as they did and then making that communication in turn go on to make no sense as we find out later with with Mm. some of the Peggy stuff it's just too much the other element that they introduced in this episode which I kind of found cool on first watch and then um just doesn't make any fucking sense with any of the other iterations of this of that you've seen of the angels is like there's a line where so that in the 1901 period time period um peggy and yaz and dan meet the couple again on the street and they're like don't walk in front of the angel or we can't see it and then you can't which i don't buy but whatever um, and just like step to the left. Yes. <laughs> just fucking step over. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so dumb. Anyway. Um, 
And then the little girl's like, no one survives it twice. And so by that, she means like, you can be sent back in time once, but like, you'll, if they touch you again, you'll die. Mm. Now, that doesn't track with what we know about them in the past. And I initially thought, oh, well, that's kind of actually, that's cool because it adds an extra element of danger. You know, you can be sent back in time Mm. once, but if they try and send you back again, they're just going to kill you. But actually, now that I think about it, I'm like, oh, no, they just have this new ability to turn you to stone if they want to. And... Um, yeah, uh, you just said that and it got me thinking about something. And I, you're, I defer to you on my Doctor Who knowledge because you know this this show much more in and out than I do. Mm. Have, has it ever been established that Weeping Angels are created by Weeping Angels? No. We don't, but we don't know anything about where they're from. They're, if they have a planet, what they are, who they, where they're from. We don't know anything about them. We only know what they can do. Crucially, right. okay. Which is cooler. It is cooler. <laughs> like, and but then yeah. you get stuff like this where it's like, well, okay, we're not going to touch where they're from, or we're not going to touch like who they are, like what they're like. Do they have like a, a culture or whatever, anything like that? We're just going to give them new mm. stuff to do, basically. Yeah. Um. They get a power up as opposed to an actual exploration. And that's the thing, yeah. you know, I, I could see this being a really good two-parter about the origins of the angels. Like I wouldn't be opposed to that at all. Um, you know, if you wanted to make a spooky time locked village that's caught in a time loop where inevitably the doctor figures out the only way they're going to get out of this is by creating the angels, like make a really tragic story about why they've, you know, why they are the way that they are, why they're so mean spirited and all that shit. But like, it doesn't, do any of that it, it doesn't you know it, it just doesn't do anything no 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 and ultimately it's because let's be real the angels are being um trundled out for this episode purely so that marketing can go here's the angels you know them you remember them from the most acclaimed <laughs> episode of doctor who watch doctor who now yeah yep it's it's the series that is so there. cynical and I don't want that to be true, but I, I just, I can't see how it could be anything but that because there's just, there's no reason for the angels to be here, especially after a season. This is the other thing. And I'm getting quite larger in my, what I'm going to say now, but like we had series 11, which was like emphatically no returning, angel, no, no returning angels, no returning um, enemies whatsoever. We know Chibnall is like committed to, Ex- not experimentation, but like doing new things because he's literally doing it now with this entire series of flux. Like, mm. so to then just throw an angel story in to me from this showrunner smacks of not even laziness, but just like creative bereft, bereft of creativity. Yes. I completely agree. And it's like what I said before about it doesn't even neatly tie into his actual ideas here with the flux stuff. It's just no. a means to an end. Um, yeah, I, I I completely agree. Uh, and it does just, the, just profoundly bums me out. The best part of the characterization of the angels in this episode is in that um, mind scene again. Um, and it's when um, Jodie Whittaker says, or the doctor, sorry, says to them, you know, you've been corrupting her, making, corrupting who she thinks she is. Now, I say this because it is a really good example of, like, uh, I was going to say it's a really good example of a metaphor, but then I was like, I don't need to explain to anyone what a metaphor is. Shut the fuck up, Callum. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> but like it is like yeah obviously like it's cool because it's like well this is what Jodie's going through and obviously she's like project sorry this is what the doctor's going through and she's projecting uh you know onto the angels and the angels being used as commentary on her scenario blah 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 blah, blah. but like that's it <laughs> you know yeah that's it's that kernel of a good idea that just passes by it exactly yeah. it passes by and it's left uncommented on and and yeah 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 no I, I completely agree um which does kind of dovetail into that that mind scene is where we learn about the angels and their pre-existing relationship with the division um you brought up a really interesting point to me earlier this week where, uh, when I say earlier this week, I mean yesterday cause it's fuck. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. T- time's weird like that. Um, where you basically said that, uh, it's becoming more and more obvious to you that, uh, Flux is not at all about the timeless children's stuff. It's not about the emotional truth of what happened to the character last season. It's just about the division. Yeah, like, I feel like, um, I feel like this season is doing a lot of work to make you forget about that other big revelation from Timeless Children. (laughs) Um, and so we're hearing a lot of stuff about Division and the Doctor's past. A past where they, you know, had extra lives, and so obviously it's tied up with the Timeless Children. Um, but it's very crucially about the fact that the Doctor doesn't remember anything it's not about um the fact that they are literally like a creature taken from another dimension abused to make gallifreyan like society that's mm. an, that's the story i'm interested to see as a fan so i understand like not going too deeply into that and also removing division um from like a gallifreyan as a gallifreyan structure into more of a kind of like cross planet thing um mm. But it does really feel like they're just trying to make you not think about the things that people really fucking hated about that story. Um, having said that, you know, we've still got the Orsok character. We've still got this battle between time and space. And I do think ultimately it is going to be tied up with this other dimension or planet that Doctor came from. Um, mm. But that will probably be a blip and not really impact on the story. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I do. And I mean, it's like, we've got two episodes left. Um, yeah. You know, it's like, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't enjoy, uh, Village of the Angels really, really killed a lot of the momentum I, I was having with this, this experimental season. I don't enjoy theorizing about this stuff anymore because the show itself is not even giving me things to theorize about. It's just saying, wait till next week, wait till next week wait till next week and the way that he writes uh the doctor means that i guarantee you in that last episode we're gonna get one of those patented chibnall exposition dumps where he just explains everything to you and you go oh i guess that's what all of that meant Mm. thanks for tuning in for the past six weeks um part of what makes a good mystery good is feeling as if you could work it out yourself is feeling as if you know oh like i've got all the pieces if only i could just you know find the 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 missing piece of the donut you know to to quote from knives out but the problem with flux and what it's sort of degraded into is that there isn't even a donut here it's just an empty plate where he's like oh 
it's going to be a donut there eventually. It's like, yeah, that's great. But what am I supposed to be sustained on in the meantime? And I'm happy that people are being sustained by the episodes like this and more of the Sontarans. But for me, like I look at the runtime of this and I'm like, okay, that's 55 extra minutes that we're not spending getting to know the doctor, getting to know how she feels about anything, getting to know the companions, which we're going to get to as well. Um, it's just spinning its wheels. Basically. And that... Do you know what? But, like, spinning your wheels isn't necessarily, like, a bad thing if you're, like, spending the interim time, like, actually experimenting or, like, actually spending time on developing your characters or spending Mm -hmm. time on um, telling a cool and interesting story. Um, you know, I think this is, as a story, is fucking sucks, because it's basically just people going, ah, don't look at the, look at the angel, look at the angel, ah, run away, ah, look at the angel. It's like a parody of an episode of Doctor Who, um, Mm. as a diversion from the main Flux stuff, you know? Um, so, it would be amazing to see, like, the off-screen camaraderie we see with, of, like, the actors who play Yaz and Dan and the Doctor, like, actually feed into the show, but it's just not there. No, it's not, which I guess brings us to to that next point. Um, this is another episode where the companions get split off from the Doctor again. It's just... I. I just don't think he has any interest in developing their relation relationships at all because it just keeps happening. Um, <laughs> I don't think Dan and the Doctor have spent more than five minutes together. Um, why is Dan here? Uh, like, why wh- is Dan here? Why is Dan here? Um, it's, you know, again, that good faith is just kind of very quickly getting snuffed out here because, you know, that first episode, oh, he's, he's got stuff going on where um, he's on the poverty line. You know, uh, I interpreted the museum scene as like, oh, he's got aspirations to be more than he is in his life. He's got that stuff going on with die and whatnot. You're like, yeah, cool. Well, we might get somewhere with this. Well, the Sontarans happens we get a caricature of his parents and that's about it. Uh, Once Upon Time happens, we get uh, like a nice scene with Dai and it's establishing that, you know, oh, he wants to save Dai and whatnot. And you're like, okay, you know, we're we're starting to build up some momentum here. The way that, especially the way that Once Upon Time ends where everyone gets back in the TARDIS together, you're like, oh, cool. The gang is together. We're going to go on a gang adventure. Mm. And then as soon as they get out of the TARDIS when they land here, it's just the Doctor runs off doesn't give a second glance to them and then they go get off embroiled in their own little time episode story um which isn't in it doesn't have to be a problem because you know i I stated in the halloween apocalypse i uh i like dan when he gets to bounce off of yaz i think they make a really good uh partnership together um and then you get to this episode and because everyone here only speaks in exposition there's nothing going on it's just the two of them walking around an empty village been like you get one moment where dan says wait are we stuck here forever and she's like let's just not think about it and then they just don't they it just moves yeah. on and it's like you are a normal man from london like you this is a wild situation that you're trapped in a wildly dangerous one as well you you seem to stop giving a shit about die completely you haven't mentioned her at all um yaz doesn't even seem to really react to the fact that they're trapped back there and look i love a good bit of subtle acting but there's just it's just not it's not here it's um, not subtle and, and it's also remember that scene where um the girl's parents get like sapped into nothing and yaz is like full-on crying 
Well, that's the other strange thing, right? Is that, yeah, like, yeah, um, uh, Mend of Gill turns in this incredible, like, split-second performance when she watches two strangers get turned to stone. Um, and she, like, it cuts back to her and she is, like, crying. And you're like, oh, shit, hello again. This is nice. This is good acting. It's like, why... Could you imagine if this episode had built on that tension from last episode where, you know, the last time we saw Yaz and the Doctor together, the Doctor essentially told her to just, like, please stop talking to me, mm. right? That happens, like, ten minutes later, Yaz gets permanently transported back in time into a situation where she's completely lost control of everything. You imagine if that crying had come out at that point, if she had been like, I am so tired. Like, I can't trust my friend anymore. I don't even know what what's going to happen with me anymore. Like... There's so much here that they could be working off of, but instead, because this episode is so convoluted in its time shit, it needs these characters to just walk around and be like, oh, there's another angel. I guess there are angels everywhere now. That's crazy. It's like, uh, come on. Like, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I know I sound angry. It's because I am. Like, We have two episodes left. Why are we wasting time? Uh, yeah, exactly. Why are we wasting time on this? Why, you know, we had, we have two amazing villains in Swarm and Azure. I would much prefer to see them in this episode than fucking angels. Why are there so many angels? (laughs) So many angels. Um... The, 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 that, that characterization problem again creeps up with the, um, the supporting cast here. Um, so... Your favourite two are the the old couple, uh, which uh, you and I have. Um, Chibnall has a, has a, a bit of a boomer problem. Yeah, a bit of a boomer problem because he characterises these two people as like, um, uh, they're in a loveless marriage and oh, they've been fighting. And there's the line where she he's like, "How dare you talk to me, a woman talk to me?" And she's like, "I dare, cause I'm forty seven years of pain, you big old bastard." And it's like it's like. What the f- 47 years of pain? Not even like, oh, 47 years of marriage, which would have been the traditional way out of that little shitty dialogue exchange, right? Mm. But specifically that line paired with the fact that he is, he knows nothing about his uh, grandniece who he's taking care of. He's quite rude to to Yaz earlier. Um, and it's just like, oh, so I get it. He's a bastard. You don't want me to feel anything when he gets turned to stone. You just needed like a body to throw at that convention. Great. Sure. Whatever. But then you have her and it's like, okay, well, she also got turned to stone and the little girl also reacted with like, eh. And it's like, it's, what do you want me to feel here? Why are your characters written like, you know, those cartoons that you used to see in the newspaper, you know? It's so, yeah, you're right. And it's so caricature, but it's also so disingenuous to like, actually to people to say that everyone from the fucking past are like wife beaters or, you know, emotionally stunted uh, and, you know, hate kids and all these kind of like cliches of men in the sixties. It's like, that's so boring. That is so fucking boring. Why don't Mm -hmm. you tell a story? Like she's obviously not your daughter. She's your niece. There's a story. There's a story there. But then also to then couple that with like, okay, so if you want to tell a story about how he's a bad uncle and he's like, you know, mean to his, um, to his niece, the way in which they do it is by having him like practically say to the screen, I'm mean to my niece. <laughs> and <laughs> like, the and then, oh my God. And the way that she just like, when they get zapped into stone, into nothing. And she's like, he was never nice to me. And it's like, 
What are you trying to do? What are you doing? Yeah. I just want to slap mm-hmm. the people that made this and be like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> it does really feel that way. Um, the, the the little girl, Peggy, um, look, I child actors, whatever. Like, I don't mm. think you should really be all that critical of them. They're kids. I get sure. it, right? Um, but the script around her was not written by a child. Um, And so she's characterized in this like very disconnected alien way. And at first you're like, okay, you know, it's established that the angels are talking to her in her mind. They're placing visions and images there because Mm. everyone has a psychic connection to everything in, in Chibnall's version of who. Um, And you're like, okay, yeah, maybe that would wreak havoc on the mind of, uh, on the mind of a developing young girl. And like, it turns her into a bit of an unfeeling bit stone like you know like there's stuff you could do there but they they don't and then like the professor gets zapped back in time later as well and as soon as she sees the professor she's like professor and like hugs him and she's a normal little girl and you're like what but (laughs) like Mm. i just don't understand no i I, no that you also brought up and i don't remember this uh in any great detail but like the fact that they focus so much time and energy on watching her eat yeah, there's just like an odd scene where she eats like one bit of bread with some butter on it. And you're like, okay, that's cool. They're, they're feeding the child after they found her. That makes sense. And they ask her a question and then she just eats more bread and the camera just lingers. And it's like, and again, it's that whole, are you trying to make her feel alien to them? Are you trying to make her feel like an odd presence in the scene? Because that really does feel like what some of the script work and some of the camera work is trying to imply. But it doesn't, again, like everything in this episode, it's all just implication. It doesn't go anywhere. Um... I don't know. I, I just, I, I found that whole, whole thing very odd, which I think also brings us to um, the the quantum extraction stuff is, God. even in positive reviews, is something I've noted where people are like, I, I just don't really understand what the plot was here. And yeah, it's like, what was the plot? What was the plot? Um, what was the plot? You, you, you suggested that this was a big trap set by the rogue angel. Um to get the doctor to be recalled back to division. And I kind of see what you're, why you're saying that. I think ultimately this is just like the angel, like trying to escape capture and then at the end bargaining for its life. But you have a alternative take on this, which I think is very valid. Well, I mean like the, the, the angel stuff is, is one thing. The, the way the angel tries to trap the doctor is, is a whole other sort of can of worms. I'm just more specifically talking about, you know, it's established, uh, Claire says early on that before she got zapped back in time, she had a vision of this village. And so she Googled it and she found out that, uh, once in 1901, everybody gets zapped back in time or disappears rather. And then once again in 1967, it happens again. And so it's like the cursed village, right? Um, and so you're like, oh, okay, that's that's a really intriguing premise. Um, and then we also later go on to find out that the village itself has been quantum extracted, uh, which is to say that it is now sort of floating in in like a no space. It just looks like a, well, a, a nice I... looking nebula shot. So it's, quite, it's pretty. I'll, I'll definitely give him that. It's pretty, um, but like, can I, sorry, can I just say something? Like, I find this, this is actually at a fault of the direction of the episode because like it's so confusing if you're going to say it's been taken out of time why the fuck is it still in space why the fuck is it like just an island floating in space like why wouldn't you characterize that as like a vortex or a void come up why does the sun come up exactly (laughs) exactly what the yeah 
And that's, that's the thing, like, you know, they, they've quantum extracted this this village and you're like, okay, so they've quantum extracted it from 1967 to save the Doctor, to, to trap the Doctor. That's awesome. That's a really cool angel power, right? Well, no, they've quantum extracted it from 1901 as well. And so then the implication, I guess, becomes that they've just quantum extracted it out of all of history, past, present, and future, I, I, I guess. Um, it's just, it's completely unexplained. Why they, why everyone in 1901 disappeared is also completely unexplained. Um, it's, you know, I, I think the little girl at one point says, oh, th- the angels did this. This is what the angels do. And they like to leave, occasionally they leave people behind so that they can be witnesses and go on to like tell the story and be, people can be scared of angels. It's like, oh, okay, cool. But like, why was any of this anything in the first place like mm. what does it what does it add to the plot um if and and again like you said before there's that that secret tunnel that ends up at this stone monument which i think there's a line about oh that's the ship that they came in and it's this like stone tablet thing that's crashed into the ground in i guess 1901 um and it's like so if these are division extraction angels why did they crash in 1901 and then just wait uh, it, it's just yeah, it's, it. I I can't paint a cohesive motivation and logic for a lot of what happens in this episode, and so because of that, I I just it's like grasping smoke. It, it is, yeah, because like there isn't actually any, <laughs> there isn't any logic to this episode. It is purely a means to an end. It's purely a way to get the Doctor to that finale, to that cliffhanger, and. Mm. It shows. <laughs> yeah, it's literally just like, you know, you, you came up with the idea of the Doctor getting turned into an angel as your cliffhanger, and then you worked backwards from there. And it's like, yeah, it, it shows. Um, it just it just mechanically plods along to get you to this point. Uh, we haven't really talked about the Doctor all that much. Uh, I was... I was kind of shocked to see a lot of people be like, oh, you know, this is Jodie's best performance in the entire run of her time. And I was like, did you watch last week's episode? Like, because, you know, you and I very publicly on on record, like, I think we tweeted about this. We said it on our podcast, but like the work that Jodie Whittaker put in in Once Upon Time is some of her best, if not her best. It is so layered and... Uh, angsty and and good and then so to see this return to a very exposition quirky doctor be praised as oh well now she's doing her best work i again i just kind of wonder what people want and expect from these episodes yeah um i i saw those those similar comments and i i do i just i wonder what they're actually watching i think there are a cute a couple of cute jody moments but like she didn't actually get a lot do I don't think mm. and you know opposite like I think a genuinely amazing performance and a, some amazing written, amazingly written scenes from well maybe being over generous but some great scenes from um once upon a time once upon time um to then say this is the best episode is like oh honey <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I just I I'm just, I'm just confused, basically. Uh, it was the same thing I felt with War of the Wisconsin where it's like, I saw the positive reception that was getting, and I, I just kind of, um, I, I said this in that that recording as well, but like, the, the stuff that makes Flux exciting and interesting is being uh, sort of panned on, on wide, and the stuff that is desperately clawing to get back to a normal Doctor Who episode is being celebrated, and so then I'm I'm doubly confused when I see a lot of people talking about, oh, well, broadly speaking, I love the concept of Flux. It's like, I don't know that you do. Like, mm. I, I, 
I get that it's the it's the hot new thing. I get that you you want to be positive and you want to sort of put that out there and into fandom and like I understand that impulse. But I, I think that maybe we really need to grapple with what you're engaging with in these stories and what you're telling these people on social media, what you're telling the BBC that you are enjoying in these stories, mm. because it's not the new stuff. It, it's like, it's not the bell stuff, which to me was the best part of this episode, which is this like tiny little, like 10 minute diversion back to, Oh, remember when this was flux? Should we talk about bell? Yeah. Like let's, let's talk, let's talk about bell. The, Bell goes to what is it? The planet uh, Pizano, Pizano, which all I could hear was P- Pizana, Pizana, which was from Star Wars, and my brain was like, boop, boop, boop. Um, <laughs> but she goes there and she's still looking for Vinda, and she finds a bunch of survivors, and you know, it, it's a very classic sci-fi idea. It's like, oh, the world's gone to shit, but there's there's somebody mysterious who's come along and is going to take us to like the promised land. I live for that shit. It's it's tropey, yes, but I think you can do something really interesting with it. And so she goes along to this like congregation of survivors where this guy that she meets is like hey they're gonna offer us salvation you should come along and she's obviously suspicious of it because she's the main character of this story um and she gets there and and azure shows up and i fucking like i did a little like fist bump i was like oh fuck yeah it's azure like i it was just so exciting to (laughs) see her again and then passenger appears and we find out that this salvation is actually people just getting trapped in passenger and they're they're unaware of it and that's really good fodder for a, a decent little uh sort of of sci-fi nugget of a story um but they the episode is just so disinterested in it it is uh, yeah primarily because i just think we go back to like the fact that this episode does feel like it was shunted into the flux format as opposed Mm. to organically growing from it um I think the the only comment i really have to make about because i genuinely just don't find bell a particularly engaging character um Mm. Uh, because we just don't know anything about her, which isn't a reason not to like her, but uh, the character, I mean. Um, But there isn't anything else in place of that to make me want to, or make me interested in her story, you know, especially because also she's emotionally tied to Vinda, who is in the exact same, you know, state. So uh, to then, the only, yes, Mm. sort of thing I have to feel about those scenes is like, and it's so dumb, but the, I love how they're, the passenger's about to unleash its, like, force field that will drag people into it. And um, she's like, no, no, you got to get away. you got to get away. It's a prison. And she's dragging this guy away. And they both jump down. And they don't get in. They don't get hit by the field. And then Azure's like, oh, don't worry. Um, we'll be back this time tomorrow. So, yeah, we'll see you then, I guess. And then just disappears. And it's like, um... Uh, yeah. <laughs> what? Why can't you just do it again? <laughs> See, but that though, I, I do kind of, I think that makes sense for Azura's uh, characterization in that she would be so confident in her victory at this point that she could just be like, don't worry about it, sweetie. We'll get you next time. Like that's the vibe I got from that moment, um, which I think does make sense for the kind of uh, person that we've seen Azura to be in the past, which is dramatic, overly confident, kind of a huge bitch. <laughs> like I, I was very <laughs> here for that part. Um, True. And I think, and as a counterpoint to your issues with Belle, I, I agree. I, I think that uh, her and Vinda are, are in desperate need of characterization. Um, but they are at least engaged in 
enough of a story like the idea of like two people in love trying to find each other during a, a universe ending event is a, a good place to start for me it's very dramatic it's very star-crossed lovers I, like i'm very here for all of it and i think we got a good amount of bell characterization in uh once upon time and so i, I quite enjoyed that to be built on here even if it was just just not a lot going on although by the end of the episode uh we do Be uh, vinda finds out that bell is definitely alive and i think we bell says that she is going to the place where she thinks uh they're taking all the humans right yeah she, yeah she sort of gets sidetracked and she's like you know there's a creature that's taking um imprisoning people in passenger forms so i'm gonna go find out where they're going so like that's a cool, uh, that's the thing that I'm going to hold on to for next week, I guess. <laughs> Truly. Yeah. Um, because yeah. I, you know, I watched that trailer and I was not part of the masses being like, oh, Kate Stewart. Oh my God. It's Kate Stewart. <laughs> oh, units back. Um, just, uh, one more small note about this actual episode. Then I guess we can talk about that trailer. Um, well, I don't know why. In that, in that scene with Belle, where she finds all the survivors, they're all human? Like, where are the aliens? Like, where, hmm. where's the feel that this is part of the Doctor Who galaxy? And I'm not even talking about seeing, like, recognisable aliens, but just aliens. <laughs> budget, babe, budget. <laughs> uh, it's that COVID, ain't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's literally it. That's the only reason. Um, So we have the trailer for next week's episode at the end of this episode obviously um it hasn't killed it, this episode did kill a lot of our buzz we i think made that abundantly clear um but i do i am genuinely intrigued at the concept of seeing the yaz and dan you know stuck on earth as possibly without the doctor for a while but then we've also seen that you know in used in marketing for you know um revolution of the daleks which turned out to be a red herring so <laughs> I have no doubt that we'll get a scene like five minutes into the episode where the doctor's like unangeled and is like, oh, where's me? Where's me fam? Where's me fam gone? Where's Dan? Dan? Where's Dan? You know. <laughs> my best friend, Dan. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, look, I was excited to see the serpent guys coming back because I quite like him. Hmm. Yeah, I'll be intrigued to see what happens with that. Obviously, we're getting a lot more Swarm and Azure, so that's something to hold on to. We get... Oh, thank God. Truly. We get the ooh that looks like it's shitting itself. Um, <laughs> that's fun. And we also get Kate Stewart from Unit, which was very surprising for everyone, I think. Yes, Kate Leftbridge Stewart. Um, more fan service? Yeah. Uh, that's the thing. Who... I, I genuinely don't know. Um, I, whatever, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. Like, yeah, we'll find out. Um, I'm, I'm still going to, we're still going to watch Doctor Who. We can criticize it till the cows come home, but I'm still tuning in next week. So oh, who's yeah. actually like, the clown? I will... <laughs> Truly. Um, <laughs> but like, I will watch all of Flux just to see Swarm and Azure again. Like, I love those two so much. I'm liking Belle enough. Um... Maybe they'll make good on some of the Doctor's characterization. I don't think they will. A fun one for anyone listening at home. This is your homework for this week. Uh, try to figure out how long Belle has been pregnant for. It's a doozy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wasn't it you said something like she'd been looking for him for a year? 
or no like he'd been posted on that rotation for what like how many rotations like a thousand or something i genuinely don't remember but it would have been a while they she did say in this episode bell in this episode that um they had their last night before they were separated in a cubicle hotel opposite the academy i don't know what the academy is but i'm very intrigued to find out so we know that like they had probably had sex the last night before they saw like parted ways um, mm. but then, you know, he was also, you know, he was probably deployed to and sent to, um, fucking the Grand Serpent before that. And then, then sent mm-hmm. on to his like op station on Operation Rose or whatever the bullshit name that was called. Um, so mm-hmm. it's probably been like a year and a half. At least. Yeah. At the very least. Um, yeah, it's very confusing. Uh, I can't wait to see how it turns out. Um, Village of the Angels, uh, what are you giving it? Can I opt out? <laughs> I, I asked to be excluded from this narrative, please. Um, yeah, um, we didn't even... Honestly, folks, we we just didn't even want to record this episode. <laughs> like, uh, it's not fun to feel this negatively about Doctor Who, but... Um, you know what? I'm going to give it a D minus because at least then it doesn't pass. I mean, it passes, but it doesn't fail. Uh, okay. I'm going to go with a, a D plus because I thought that the uh, music cue that they used for the angels was good. And I like bell. So. Well, there's some positives. Look at that. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> We did it, it, fandom. (laughs) We did it. We were positive about Village of the Angels. Um, Thank you so much for joining us, as always. We know this one was a little bit of an uphill battle. Uh, You are truly meeting us us halfway on this one, so we, we appreciate that. As always, obviously, uh, it would really help us if you jumped onto iTunes and gave us a, uh, a five-star review. That would be amazing. Um, or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts, just, you know, like, subscribe, or all that, etc. Um, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at Two Hearts Pod. That's through the number two. Um, email is twoheartspodcast at gmail.com. Which actually reminds me, now that we're here, we did ask on Twitter... Um, for you know some responses from people to see how they felt about this episode because we knew that we needed something to balance us out so we're gonna end on a on a high note here uh so uh beowulf irl says i don't know what to think to be honest i'm annoyed at claire's story and if bell and vinda are just normal people it's a bit of a waste the doctor turning into an angel was very well done and the acting all around was spot on in my opinion so it's brilliant yet not at the same time um well said well said we like that one and uh liam says so so enjoyable just a bottle rocket that fizzes right to the end with some wonderful unforgettable imagery it rinses the weeping angel playbook with some cool twists though seeing it with an unprepared 10 year old elevates it by at least 20 percent um that is also a very good point like i'm sure a kid would have a blast with this episode so i i i I hope that kids enjoyed this i hope they're liking what they're putting down i want more kids I want to know there's an audience outside of us and beyond us, you know? Oh, yeah. Very much so. Very, very much so. Um, Thank you for that feedback. As always, we really do appreciate it. Uh, I have been James. You can find me on Twitter at OMGMoreJames. And I've been Callum. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at TheatricCallum. We will see you in a week's time for Survivors of the Flux. Um, 
more like survivors of Village of the Angels. Oh, shit. Oh, she went there. Ah, uh, stay safe oh, and kind. Bye. Bye. <laughs>